If you have your Bibles, and I hope and trust that you do, go ahead and take them and turn with me to Daniel chapter 12. Daniel chapter 12. How would you feel this morning if I told you that I could write you a check for $1 million today? How would you feel? What would you say? Now, what if I told you that immediately upon cashing that check, you would die? Would that check be worth anything to you? No. It wouldn't be worth anything. Why? Because nothing in this world is more valuable than the commodity of time. Nothing is more valuable than that commodity. There is nothing more valuable than time. I could write a check for a million dollars, but if you were going to die a second after cashing it, then you would never cash it. Why? Because time is more valuable than money. And the irony is there's never a way to tell how much time that we have left. There's no external giveaways. When it comes to money, if you see somebody with really nice things, then you could either tell that, Number one, they're wealthy. Number two, maybe they just have really generous, kind friends who are wealthy. Or number three, they're in serious debt. But not so with time. There's no giveaways. You can never tell how much time somebody has just by looking at them. And you're spending your time right now. You're spending your time as we speak. Daniel 12 is all about time. Time is the most often used word in this chapter. It's about the time of the end. It's about the end times. It's about our time leading up to that time. And while it specifically focuses on the time of Israel's redemption in the end times during the Great Tribulation, it teaches us several realities of how we should live out the remainder of our time in light of that time. And so this morning, I want to read the last portion of the book of Daniels. We've been studying this book verse by verse, chapter by chapter, line by line, and word by word. We come to the end, verse 5 through 13, and we will see Daniel being told how he ought to live his time in light of that time. So let's read together. Daniel chapter 12, verses 5 through 13. Then I, Daniel, looked, and behold, two others were standing, one on this bank of the river, that's the Tigris River, and the other on that bank of the river. And one said to the man dressed in linen who was above the waters of the river, how long will it be until the end of these wonders? And I heard the man dressed in linen who was above the waters of the river as he raised his right hand and his left hand toward heaven and swore by him who lives forever that it would be for a time times and half a time. And as soon as they complete shattering the power of the holy people, all these events will be completed. As for me, I heard, but I could not understand. So I said, my Lord, what will be the outcome of these events? Then he said to me, go your way, Daniel. For these words are concealed and sealed up until the time of the end. 
Many will be purged, purified, and refined, but the wicked will act wickedly, and none of the wicked will understand, but those who have insight will understand. But from the time of that regular sacrifice being abolished and the abomination of desolation being set up, there will be 1,290 days. How blessed is he who keeps waiting and reaches the 1,335 days. But as for you, go your way into the end. Then you will enter into rest and stand again for your allotted portion at the end of the days. These are the words of the living God. Let's ask him to write their eternal truths on our hearts today. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the privilege that we have yet again of opening it. We thank you for this this last year of studying through Daniel and seeing your glory at every step, every page, every word. We have seen and beheld and feasted on your glory. And we expect nothing less than that this morning. To feast on you, to glory in you, to enjoy you, to find our satisfaction in you and in you alone. That is our desire. So Father, be pleased this morning to work in us something that is impossible apart from you doing that work. We want to love you more. We want to see you clearly in the scriptures. And so we pray, Holy Spirit, open our eyes that we would behold wonderful things from your law. We want to see. And we don't deserve to see. We don't, we've never earned it. We can't merit Seeing your glory, we can only ask that you, by your grace, would show it to us. So be our teacher, be our guide, be our instructor. Give us that precious gift of illumination this morning that we would behold your glory and be changed by it. God, transform us as a church, individually transform us. Call us to respond to you and to your word this morning. And lead us in the everlasting way. We pray in the precious name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen. Daniel chapter 12 gives us three realities of how we are to live our lives now in light of the end times. Three realities of how we are to use our time wisely now while we wait for the end times to come. The first is seen in verses 5 through 7. And it is the reality that we must patiently trust God's perfect timing. If we are to live our lives wisely in the here and now, we must patiently trust God's perfect timing. Patiently trust his timing. I love Daniel's response in all this. He's going to say, I don't understand and I want to know more. But it isn't just Daniel. It starts with these two angels. Two angels have questions about what God has been saying to Daniel. Verse 5 I, Daniel, looked, and behold, two others, two other angels were standing, one on this bank of the river. This is the Tigris River. This goes back to our introduction to this whole prophecy in Daniel chapter 10. You remember Daniel chapter 10 is the prelude. It's the, the um, beginning of everything, the introduction to the prophecy. Chapter 11 into the beginning of chapter 12 is the prophecy. And then the end of chapter 12, what we're looking at today, is the conclusion of the prophecy, of this last prophecy given to Daniel. And so these two angels are standing on the banks of the Tigris River. 
And verse six, one said to the man dressed in linen, we met this man as well in chapter 10. He is Jesus Christ, the pre-incarnate Christ. This is a picture of Jesus before he is a baby in a manger growing up in Galilee. This is Jesus. So these angels, along with Daniel, have questions. They're asking, how long is this going to continue for? Once we get into the great tribulation, which sounds awful, that's what we've been looking at in Daniel 11, it sounds terrible. Once we get into that, how long is it going to last? It's verse 6. How long, it will be, how long will it be until the end of these wonders? How long will it be until those, those wonders stop? Once they begin, how long are they going to continue for? And the answer is given in verse 7. I heard the man dressed in linen. Again, that's Jesus hovering over the tiger surface. So you've got Daniel looking. You've got two angels on either side. You've got Jesus hovering over. And he raises his right and his left hand toward heaven. He's going to swear an oath. You only need to raise one hand. Genesis 14, verse 22, Abraham says to the king of Sodom an oath. He swears an oath and he lifts one hand. So here, Jesus is lifting both, saying this is definitely going to happen. And he swears by God, which Hebrews chapter 6, verse 13 says that when God is trying to swear an oath, he cannot swear by anything higher than his own name. And so he swears by himself. That's what's happening here. Jesus is saying very clearly that he knows the end. He has prophesied the end. He's predicted the end. He knows how it's going to go. And he's going to bring it about. Bring it about to its final conclusion. He raises his right hand, his left hand toward heaven. He swears by him who lives forever that it would be for a time, times and half a time. So the question is, how long will it be once the abomination of desolation happens in the middle of that seven-year period, Daniel's 70th week, the end times, this period of tribulation and great tribulation, seven years, how long will it be once the abomination of desolation happens in the middle of that seven years? How long will it be until it ends? And to that, Jesus says, time, times, half a time. We've seen this already. Daniel chapter 7, verse 25. Time, that's one. Times, that's two. So we're up to three. And half a time is a half. So three and a half years. It'll be three and a half years until the final conclusion, the end of the great tribulation. And it says, as soon as they complete the shattering of the holy people, the power of the holy people, they will destroy them and shatter them. And once that ends, all of these things will be completed. So he gives two realities in this oath. He tells us that the end time will be a devastating time. And he tells us that the end time will be a definite time frame. It's devastating. We've already seen both of these realities. It's devastating in that the power of the holy people will be completely shattered. One commentator says, we will come to the point in history where it appears that darkness has really won the day. It will seem as if the Antichrist is going to continue forever. It will seem as if the people of God have been entirely obliterated. Can you think of anything that's so bleak, so hopeless? But the miracle of miracles is this, is that this shattered people have a God who will step in, shorten the days of their suffering and bring it to an end to spare them, to save them. 
It's a devastating time, but it's a definite time frame. It's a definite time frame. It has an end date, time, times, and half a time. Dale Ralph Davis says, this shattered people have a cross-centered God who knows the pains of his people and sets a limit to their distresses. Lest we be tempted to doubt, Daniel's visitor gives us a two-handed oath so that misery is infected with certainty. That's what Jesus is saying to Daniel. The misery that we will go through is infected with certainty that God will step in and save his people. Legan Duncan says, when evil has done its worst, we are told as soon as it finishes shattering the power of the holy people, all these events will be complete. When evil has done its worst and the hopes of the people of God seem shattered, then God will act. The grim work of the oppressors will roll on and on and on, but at the appropriate moment, God will intervene. Calvin said it well, speaking about the church, the church will be subject to the most numerous and grievous calamities until the advent of Christ, but yet it should feel God's prospicious disposition, that he loves us, that he wants to step in, enduring its own safety under his aid and his protection. He will protect us. He will care for us. At the end of the campaign of evil, Jesus will return, subdue his enemies, and usher in the kingdom. But we have to wait for it. We can trust it, but we have to trust patiently. I wonder where you may be struggling this morning with patiently trusting in God's perfect timing. We might not like the idea that we're going to go through three and a half years of great tribulation. God, okay, look at the people of the end times. Why don't you just back it off a little bit? We might think that's a little bit excessive. Why doesn't God stop it? And this is why this section, though dealing with the end times, it pertains to us today. Because we might think the exact same thing. God, you're allowing a trial in my life that I know you could stop. Why don't you stop it? You're allowing me to go through suffering that I don't want to experience anymore. Why don't you step in? And just like God says to Daniel, we are going to go through tribulation in this world. In this world, you will have tribulation. Jesus told us. There will be devastation that happens in your life, but there is a definite time frame for when it ends. Where are you struggling to patiently trust in the Lord. Is there something that you're waiting for? Is there something that you're wanting to happen that hasn't happened yet? Maybe there's something that you are not wanting to happen anymore and you're waiting for God to remove it. Maybe it's your own sin that you desperately want to conquer once and for all, but it's still nagging and hanging on and you're saying, God, how long? I can't wait to be rid of this. Maybe it's a broken relationship that you're wanting to be mended, but it just hasn't happened yet and you've tried as much as you can but it's still broken. You're saying, God, why? Why are you allowing this? Would you trust in the middle of your trial, of your difficulty, of your suffering? Will you trust that God has a purpose and patiently wait upon him? He's doing something and he's promised to ultimately bring about redemption and reconciliation at the end. Will you trust him? 
we see in these first couple of verses that if we are going to live out our days wisely, we must patiently trust God's perfect timing. Number two, if we're going to live wisely, live out the rest of our time wisely, we must peacefully rest in what God has clearly revealed. We must peacefully rest in what God has clearly revealed. Verses 8 through 12 give us this reality. Daniel says, As for me, I heard, but I could not understand. So I said, My Lord, what will be the outcome of these events? I love this. Don't move past this verse too quickly. I love this verse because Daniel, a godly man, a prophet on God's behalf, speaking God's words, says, God, there's something that you've revealed to me that I don't understand. He's struggling to understand this. This is so encouraging for two reasons. This verse is so encouraging for two reasons. Number one, Daniel says, I don't get it. I don't understand. And number two, he says, I need more. I want more. Tell me more. I don't know if you felt that way at all during our time through Daniel, but I sure have. Okay, God, I don't understand this. And I think I need a little bit more information to flesh this out. That's exactly what Daniel's saying. Thanks for the prophecy. I don't quite get it. Could you give me a little bit more? How perfectly human. What will be the outcome of these events? We don't fully even know what he's asking there. Maybe he's asking what's going to be the final outcome once the people of God have been completely shattered. Maybe he's asking how is this going to resolve? We don't really even know what he's asking in the question. But what we do know is Jesus' response to Daniel. Verse 9. He says, Go your way, Daniel. These words are concealed and sealed up until the time of the end. No answers given. No further explanation. No further prophecy. In essence, Jesus is saying, you have all that you need. And if you don't understand, that's okay. You have what you need. You don't need anything else. Jesus is saying, in essence, to Daniel, move on from this. Don't get stuck here. You're asking a great question, but you don't need anything else. Move on from it. Leon Wood writes, quote, So often today, Christians want to know more details regarding some doctrine, especially concerning the last things that God, than what God has revealed in his word. We want to know more than what God has revealed in his word. Instead, they should rest contentedly with what God has chosen to make clear. Donald Miller writes, the prophet should go on about his life, not concerned about his lack of knowledge because the vision is related to the far distant future. Jesus is saying, you don't need to worry about this anymore. The word's been concealed. They've been sealed up. They've been preserved. They're going to be preserved all the way to the end. Don't worry about it. He gives them a little bit of detail. Verse 10, many are going to be purged, purified, refined. The wicked will act wickedly. None of the wicked will understand. Those who have insight will understand. That's exactly what we looked at at the beginning of chapter 12. In the end times, it's going to be a time of purging and purifying and sanctification. People are going to be getting saved in the end times. While it looks like evil is winning and reigning and ruling, God is still redeeming his people. And he says, verse 11, but from the time that the regular sacrifice is abolished, and the abomination of desolation is set up. Again, that's halfway through that period of seven years in the end times. The end times begins three and a half years into the end times. There's this abomination of desolation where the Antichrist sets himself up as God to be worshipped as God. Goes into the temple in Jerusalem. And does something that is despicable and wicked. And sets himself up as the God to be worshipped. So from that time... 
there will be 1,290 days. So from the time of the abomination, there will be 1,290 days. We see the number 1,260 in Revelation chapter 11, verse 3. We know that number. That's three and a half years or 42 months. We see those numbers over and over again in Revelation. We've seen time, times, half a time, three and a half years in the book of Daniel. But if you're calculating that, 1260, that's three and a half years, that's 42 months. But here it's 1290. Why does Jesus add 30 days to the number? So he's saying three and a half years and then 30 days. In verse 12, he says, how blessed is he who keeps waiting and reaches 1335. So he adds 45 more days on top of that. So it's an extra 75 days total. Why? And again, I would say to you, we don't fully know. This would be my conjecture, because what he's saying is, from the time of the abomination of desolation, through the end of the great tribulation, that's three and a half years and 75 days. So why the extra 75 days tacked on? I think because there will be things that will have to happen right after the second, of, second coming of Christ, right at the end of the great tribulation, when Antichrist is finally removed, Jesus is going to establish his kingdom. He's going to set up his millennial kingdom. He's going to establish his earthly reign for a thousand years. But it doesn't get established like that. Apparently, it seems to take 75 days to do that. There's the judgment of the nations that has to happen, the judgment of the sheep and the goats. And probably 30 days of judgment and cleanup of the battle of Armageddon. There's maybe 45 days of establishing the government of the millennial kingdom. He's going to do a lot of work to establish his government, to get the people in place that are going to govern and rule and reign with him. So I would say that it's going to take 1335 days, 1335 days, three and a half years plus 75 days for the millennial kingdom to fully be inaugurated and Jesus ruling and reigning on the throne. I believe that's what the time frame here is saying. So that's why he would say you're blessed if you wait and you get through the great tribulation and get into the kingdom that way. You're blessed because you've made it, you've been judged by Jesus as able to enter the kingdom. You've been a part of his rule and his reign in the kingdom. You've been ushered in and welcomed in. You, you made it through the judgments. So of course you're blessed because you get to rule and reign with him. But we don't know. That's my take. That would be my interpretation. We don't know. And that reminds us exactly what we've been studying in Daniel and what we see even in his response here. We don't know. There are, there are certain things we won't ever know, and that's okay. Because here's what we do know based off of these verses. Here's what we do know without a shadow of a doubt. Even if we don't know exactly how to place these extra 75 days in, here's exactly what we know. Number one, God has numbered the days of the great tribulation until the inauguration of the millennial kingdom. God has it numbered to the day. And number two, we know that there will be people that will make it through. There will be people that God will save, preserve, protect, and bring alive into his kingdom. We know that based off of these verses. And so, based off of what we know, we're encouraged. Blessed is he who keeps waiting. Keeps waiting. We talked about this before in the book of Daniel. Waiting is hard. How do we wait? How do we wait effectively? How do we wait faithfully? We wait according to the character and promises of God. Listen to these verses. Lamentations chapter 3, verse 22. The Lord's loving kindness indeed never ceases. His 
Mercies never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I wait on him. I can wait because of his character. I can wait because of his promises. I can wait because of who he is. I'm not able to wait because of what's going on with my circumstances or my surrounding trials and sufferings. No, I wait because of his immovable, unchangeable character. Habakkuk chapter chapter two, verse three. The vision is yet for the appointed time. It hastens toward the goal and it will not fail. Even though it tarries, wait for it because it certainly will come. We can wait knowing that whatever God has promised, it will come. It will happen. Second Peter chapter three, the Lord is not slow about his promise as some consider slow. He's patient towards you. He doesn't want any to perish. He wants all to come to repentance. Therefore, we can wait. We know what God's doing. What do we find hardest in the waiting? What do we find hardest in those moments where God has said, you need to wait Instead of peacefully resting in what God has clearly revealed, we're saying, God, I need more. I want more. I need more. This is not enough. Sometimes it's just the unknowns. I don't know how this is going to turn out. I don't know what's going to happen. And we see those unknowns and we say, okay, I can't wait. I just need to know. Sometimes it's that feeling of just being stuck, a lack of movement. God, when are you going to act? Because it feels like this is the same thing over and over again. Why aren't you doing something? I think we've seen in the book of Daniel, the Christian life is a long experience of living in a waiting room. That's the Christian life. We're just living in a waiting room. And we're waiting and we're waiting and we're waiting and we're waiting to get that call. We're waiting over and over again. So do you trust the Lord patiently knowing his perfect timing is right and good Do you rest peacefully knowing that what God has clearly revealed to you is enough? Maybe there's going to be questions just like Daniel. I'd like to know more. And God's going to say, you don't need more. What I have given you, you can know. The clear things in the scriptures, those are yours and hold on to them. There's mysterious things in the Bible for sure. And some of those mysteries absolutely belong to the Lord as Deuteronomy tells us. But the clear things, those are for you to be transformed by. Do you peacefully rest in what God has clearly revealed? And what do we do while we wait? What do we do in the meantime while we're waiting? That's point number three, and that's verse 13. If we're going to live wisely in this life, we must passionately pursue holiness and the ministry God has called you to. Passionately pursue holiness and the ministry God has called you to. We patiently trust God's perfect timing. We peacefully rest in what God has clearly revealed. But then we don't just sit there and do nothing waiting for the promises to come true. We act. We passionately pursue holiness. Verse 13. But as for you, Daniel, this is what's going to happen in the end. But Daniel, as for you right now, go your way to the end. Go your way to the end. You still have work to do, Daniel. You still have a ministry to accomplish. You have your way that you need to live in and complete and continue. Go your way to the end. And then you will enter into rest and stand again for your allotted portion at the end of the days. There's two ends here. I think one is the view of the end of Daniel's life. The first end is the end of Daniel's life. The second end seems to be the resurrection at the very, very end. 
So what Jesus is telling him is, right here and now, you need to finish your race. You need to do what God has called you to do. You still have a ministry. You still have a purpose. Live it out. Don't get lazy. Don't shrink back knowing, hey, here's what's going to happen in the end. So therefore I can just wait for it to happen. No, keep doing what you're supposed to do. And while you do it, you can wait for that final day because you have an allotted place. You have an allotted portion. You're going to fight the good fight and then you're going to enter into your rest. That word allotment or allotted portion. It's the same word that's used in Joshua to speak of the allotted portion of land given to the 12 tribes. God's telling Daniel, I have an allotted place for you. I have a place for you eternally. It's like what Jesus said, I go to prepare a place for you. He tells his disciples, do not be discouraged. Let your heart be comfort because I have a place for you, designated for you. So in essence, verse 13 could be summed up with these words, Daniel, your duty is clear and your future is secure. So go and live. Go and live. One commentator says, well, should it be for us if in the end of our days, we too are able to depart hence with such consolation of hope. I have fulfilled my ministry. I've done what God's called me to do. And now I get to go home to be with him in a place that he has prepared for me. Dale Ralph Davis says, if you are Jesus's disciple, you are simply called to keep going. Keep slogging on in your worship of Christ. Keep refusing to bow down to the latest idol. Who knows what hatred and damage may fall on you, what threats or enticements may be made to you, but God will have his 1,335 people. They're going to make it. And that's what God is telling Daniel here. You're going to make it. Keep going. Keep going. Daniel would be tempted to say, I need to know more after that. I'd love to know where my allotted portion is. I'd love to know when the time of the end for my days will be. But Daniel has received all that he's going to receive. He has been given enough to live according to it and to live out his ministry. He doesn't need any more information to live a holy and transformed life. He doesn't need any more information to fulfill the ministry that God has given to him. Jim Boyce says it this way, there are things which we cannot yet explain but what we do know for certain, we live according to and we are transformed by. We all have questions about how all of this will work itself out in the end times. But we have more than enough information to know how we should live today in light of Christ's return. We are called to do our duties. We are called to make disciples. We are called to proclaim the word. We are called to endure to the end. Something wonderful is coming. And so we can work with that hope now. In these verses, as in the entirety of the book of Daniel, and I would say the entirety of the Bible, Jesus is not nearly concerned with how long before the end, as he's concerned with what the people are doing to prepare for the end. David Helm says, while our interest in apocalyptic literature may have started because of its otherness, at the end of the day, God has given it to us to encourage us to pursue holiness. While we may all long for and yearn for more answers for what is it going to look like in the end, what's going to happen, what's the time frame, we might have so many questions that will be left unanswered. 
But the most important question has been answered. How are we to prepare for the end? That's been answered thoroughly. That's been answered clearly in Daniel, in Revelation, and in the entirety of the Bible. And we see people in church history who have received that message and have lived that out. I think of Jonathan Edwards. You remember he wrote these resolutions in light of the coming of Christ, in light of his own mortality. He wrote resolutions. Resolution number five, he says, resolved never to lose one moment of time, but improve it the most profitable way I possibly can. I want to improve upon my time. God has given me only a certain amount of time. And I want to, as Jesus tells Daniel, go my way to the end. I want to fulfill my ministry and my duty to the end. It's like we tell our kids all the time, I don't know how well they live this out, but at least we tell this to them. Whenever we go to somebody's house, whenever we go over to somebody's place, we always say, hey, we need to leave it better than we found it, right? We need to leave it better than we found it. That's what Jonathan Edwards is saying. I want to leave this world better than I found it. I want to be using my time to invest in people so that one person, Jonathan Edwards, can impact thousands of people and use the time wisely. He says... Resolution number seven, resolved never to do anything which I should be afraid to do if it was the last hour of my life. Resolution number 17, resolved that I will live so as I shall wish I had done when I come to die. He had eternity stamped on his eyeballs. That's what he prayed. God, stamp eternity on my eyeballs so that I would know how to live wisely. That was our study in the book of Ecclesiastes. In order to live wisely and satisfied in this life, we need to live in light of eternity. That's what God is telling Daniel. You know the end is coming. You know what's going to happen. Maybe not in all of its details, but you know there is an end. So go your way now. Fulfill your duty now. Turn to Psalm 11. Psalm 11. This, in essence, could have been written by Daniel. It's not, it's written by David, but it could be written by Daniel because of the question that's asked. Psalm 11, verse 1, and maybe this is the question that you and I face in our context, in our culture, in our day and age. David writes, Psalm 11, verse 1, in Yahweh I take refuge. How can you say to my soul, flee as a bird to your mountain? For behold, the wicked bend the bow. They're making ready their arrow upon the string to shoot in the darkness at the upright in heart. We are under the gun. That's what David's saying. They're ready to attack us. And if the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? If evil is prevailing, if it's going to get worse, what can the righteous do? What can we do? I think that's what Daniel's asking. What can I do? I need more information to know what I should do. It looks like things are getting worse. God, you prophesied that things will get worse. You've promised that. What can the righteous do? What God's telling Daniel is go on being righteous. Just keep being righteous. Just keep on doing what God's called you to do. Turn to 2 Peter chapter 3. I think this is very, very instructive for us. 2 Peter chapter 3, all the way at the other end of your Bible. 2 Peter chapter 3, Peter isn't as concerned with when Jesus is coming back, but rather how we should live in light of the fact that he is coming back, how we should continue our, living our lives. 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 10, the day of the Lord will come like a thief 
in which the heavens will pass away with a roar and the elements will be destroyed with intense heat and the earth and its works will be found out. Since all these things are to be destroyed in this way, my next question would be, tell me when, tell me how, tell me what's going to be going on. What does he say? What sort of people ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness? Here's the end times that we know is coming and it should motivate us to live differently today. Peter's not concerned about when Jesus is coming. He's not as concerned about that as he's concerned about what we should be doing in light of his second coming. Jesus did the same thing. Turn to Mark. Turn to Mark chapter 13. Jesus did the exact same thing in the Olivet Discourse when he is speaking on the end times. Mark chapter 13, verse 32. Start in verse 31. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. Okay, I want to know when will heaven and earth pass away? How will heaven and earth? I've got so many questions. What does Jesus say? Of that day or hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven nor the Son, but the Father alone. So see to it, keep on the alert, because you do not know when the appointed time will come. Whatever questions we may have, Jesus is telling us, you know what? You have all that you need. Now live in light of it. Be transformed in light of it. It's not about so much when Jesus is coming back, but knowing that he is coming back and living in light of that reality. That's what we looked at in 1 John chapter 3, knowing that he is going to appear a second time if we have that hope fixed on him, we will purify ourselves now. We'll live differently now. So Dale Ralph Davis concludes his commentary on Daniel by saying, so what if you, like Daniel, are not one of the heroic faithful in the time of the end? Daniel did not live to see the seven-year period of tribulation and great tribulation. He didn't exist into that time period. We aren't in that time period. What if we never enter into that time period? Have these verses, has our study in these verses about the end times, has it all been a waste if we aren't going to experience that tribulation and great tribulation? What if you never live to encounter this final edition of the Antichrist? What if you never go through the shattering of the power of the holy people? Are you then deficient? Is yours a second-class experience? No. Rather, do you not have everything that you already need? Your duty is clear and your future is settled. Is that not enough? And if the Lord says to you, you will rest, you will stand in your allotted place at the end of days, isn't that about all that we really need anyway? That's it. We know we have a final resurrection. We know we have an allotted place. We know Christ is coming back. We don't know when. We don't know how. We don't know all the specific details. We have a general idea for sure. But we have all that we need to know in order to be able to be transformed today in light of his second coming. These verses teach us that we must patiently trust in God's perfect timing. We must peacefully rest in what God has clearly revealed, we must passionately pursue holiness and the ministry God has called us to. If we are to live wisely in the time that God has given us, that's how we must live. 
And why do we live that way? We live that way because of 1 John chapter 3. Behold, how otherworldly, that's the word John uses, of what other world? Our Bibles typically say, behold what manner of love the Father has given. Behold, of what other world? This is out of this world kind of love that the Father has bestowed or gifted or given to us. We didn't earn it. We didn't get it. He gave his love to us. Behold, what, what manner of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God. And then he says, and such we are. It's like he knows that we're going to say, is there any way we could be children of God? No way. And he goes, no, 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 we really are. And everyone who has this hope fixed on him, that he will return, that he will appear. Everyone who has that hope fixed on him purifies himself just as he is pure. What's our motivation for fulfilling our ministry, for fulfilling our duty? What's our motivation for sharing the gospel, for calling people to repent and join the kingdom of God? What's our motivation for that? It's because we have the hope of seeing the one that we love face to face one day. So do you love him? Do you love him this morning? Paul says in Corinthians, no one can say Jesus is Lord, but by the spirit. If you can say Jesus is Lord and mean it, you love the reality that he is your master. You are his slave. You have given your will over to him. You've submitted everything to him and you treasure that and cherish that. Nobody could cherish that except for Jesus doing that work in him. So my question is, has Jesus done that work in you? Do you love him? Do you love the fact that you are not your own, but you've been bought with a price? Do you love the fact that you have no will anymore? It's God who's working in and through you to work and to will according to his own good pleasure. Do you cherish that? Let your love for him motivate you to trust him, to patiently trust and wait. Let your love for him motivate you to rest, even when there are things that you wish that you could change, but you can't. Do you trust him and rest in what he's clearly revealed, even though there's things that you wish you could know, but you don't? Let your love for him motivate holiness and ministry and spending your life to point others to him. Let your love for Christ overflow in love to others. And let Christ's love for you be your solid rock and your immovable foundation in the midst of whatever may come while we live out the time that God has graciously given to us. Father, thank you so much for your word. It is so powerful and it calls us to respond. Even now, as we prepare our hearts to sing and respond through singing, you call us to respond even beyond song, to live these truths out in our daily living. So I pray even now, as we do prepare to respond through song, that we prepare to respond how you would call us to. Your spirit is at work in our hearts even now for those that are yours, convicting, comforting, pointing us to Christ, who is our only hope, and he is the one that we love. And so, Father, I pray that by your grace, you would call us now to respond. Show us how we must respond. Maybe it's an area where we're struggling to, to patiently trust. Maybe it's an area where we are 
struggling to rest with peace, knowing you know everything and we won't fully know it all and that's okay. We have everything that we need to know and that's enough. Maybe we're struggling to passionately pursue holiness in the ministry you've given to us. Maybe we don't even know what the ministry is that you've given to us and we're struggling to figure out what that looks like. Father, I pray wherever it is that we need to respond, that your spirit would show us. And then after we end our time together, that we would linger over these truths, that we would talk with one another and let these realities just simmer in our hearts so that we wouldn't leave so quickly and let the word be snatched away. God, if there's anyone who lived this out, it is Daniel, who lived according to what you had given and Though wanting more, said, okay, I know what to do, and he did it. Help us to be like him, because we serve the same God. We love you, and we stand amazed that you would love us. Broken, needy, desperate, undeserving sinners, you would love us. And so we love you back because you first loved us. Be pleased as we praise you and thank you this morning. In your name we pray. Amen.